Good morning. Come on in and come. Here's your hearing test. Raise your right hand if you heard it. All right. Everyone but the worship leader heard it. No, that's good. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to get started. Thanks for joining us. Come in and grab a seat. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. It's kind of a laid-back morning. We've got a lot of people on the road out in Omaha for the Faith Walkers Conference. I'm hearing good things from my family that sounds like an encouraging time. Sarah's adjusting to her first time with a baby at the conference. She said she makes it to about half the seminars, but I think two teachings a day you still have enough to chew on, so she's gotten plenty on her plate there. We had a fun time, our first Christmas with Phoebe on board and, and having a family. We didn't feel like we had to get her too many gifts because it was both families' first grandkid. And so both grandmas went bananas on Black Friday and granddaughter. That was, that was too much. The amount of clothes she got, we're going to have to just try to schedule it to get all the clothes in before she grows out of it in three or four months because she got a load. It was, I started telling people, don't get me anything if you're buying her 30 gifts. Or, no, I don't know how many, but... She, uh, she did all right, so, but we had fun. It, it adds a new element to have a baby. It's a lot more fun to do, do Christmas with some, a kid around. I think my, my little brother is almost 30, but he was adjusting to not being the baby of the family anymore. Usually he had just this pile of gifts, and then everyone else would get a few. But now he just got the normal amount for an adult, and, and Phoebe took over, so he was a little sad. He's going to have to adjust next year to life in his 30s and life with a few less Christmas presents. So it's time for him not to be the baby anymore, I think. So that's good. Anyway, we're going to we're gonna check in here. I, uh, what about you? I was reading through the account of the Christmas story on Christmas. I, I didn't catch the service last week. But I was just reading through it on Christmas morning just to get my heart tuned in with uh, just Christmas and the account of Jesus. And, and one thing that struck me reading through in the midst of a, just a very familiar scripture we've heard a lot, a story that most of us heard as kids and all the way up of Christmas, um, is that there lies a real set of events that happened in history. The miracles detailed in Matthew and the Gospels are real. You know, just we think back through it, a virgin woman became pregnant by the Spirit of God. Her husband was visited by an angel that confirmed that she was not an adulterer, that she wasn't in sin, but that she was holding the Messiah that came through the Holy Spirit in her. And he, and he stuck around and, and saw God moving in that and, and God's plan. And so she had the baby Jesus and wrapped him in cloth and put him in a horse stable. And the, the Magi follow the star across the sky, which does some miraculous things and just kind of sets on top of Bethlehem. And they, they follow it into the city, and they come in, and they find the baby in the horse stable, and, and they bring gifts and just fall down and worship Jesus. And those are miraculous and historical events that detail God coming into our world. And eventually He goes on to die and conquer sin. But we celebrate Christmas and that He humbled Himself and came to be a baby. He graciously chose to come in and have a set of parents, to have a time that He was dependent on other people to give Him what He needed in His life as a baby. And He entered into our world and things drastically changed forever. 
I've also been reading through the one year Bible been doing that for a number of years but as you get to December you kind of have to finish the Bible it's a good thing to wrap it up in a year December it's crunch time and, and as you get in it it finishes the Old Testament and the New Testament at once and so the two books that hit from December are Zechariah and Revelation the two big ones you're kind of going through for a while and if you're familiar with the Bible both of those books really deal with the end of the world and Jesus coming back they both just reveal that truth that he will return to earth and finish the work he started that we celebrate on Christmas that we celebrate on Easter that he'll draw all things to a close and start a new chapter in the great scheme of eternity where earth passes away and the celebration goes on forever in heaven I I like to think of it as as a real event. I don't know if any of you saw Back to the Future. I know that 80s or the 90s, but I give Dave a hard time as a historian. But one of my favorite lines from that movie is they say that history will be altered. Future history as they go into the future. I think of Jesus coming back as future history. It's a real event that's going to happen. It's a real day. It's just out in the future. I was thinking through that one. But in the last few weeks, if you've been following the news, there's another event that brought the end times to the forefront of a lot of people's minds. They wouldn't normally be thinking about it. You might have heard that the Mayan calendar ended and it created this prophecy that the world was going to end on the 21st of this month. That might not have happened since we're on to the 30th or so here. I'm not sure many people believed it would happen, but it sure did get a lot of press. If you follow newspapers or internet articles, it was an underlying theme of a lot of different articles in the media over the last month that whether it was going to be the last year of sports ever, the last politics ever before the world ended, they had to get in their kind of end of the world best of list. Whether it was talking about money, politics, or sports, they just kept rolling in that theme. But why didn't the world end? Well, Sports Illustrated let me know. I'm a subscriber, and it let me know why the world didn't end, so I will enlighten you. They ran an article a couple weeks ago called Apocalypse Now, and it highlights a video game called Dikembe Mutombo's Four and a Half Weeks to Save the World. And one of the great features of this video game, it's online, one of the great features is that when you log in, it has an intro with the Kembe talking about how he's going to have to save the world. And then as it gets going, instead of having a mouse cursor to click and play the game, it shows his big black hand, and it shows the finger wag as he saves the world. If you're a Nuggets fan and followed them, and when Dikembe was around, he kind of roamed the middle of the court under the boards. He's a big seven-foot-tall guy. They called him Mount Matumbo, and uh, he liked to do blocks and that kind of thing. But... He would, he would patrol the center there. But in the video game, if he was successful in defending the world instead of just the rim, then the Mayan calendar would extend and things would go on. So he was apparently successful, and Dikembe has let us have at least another week here. But that was too much. I actually had to log in and try it out a little bit. It was funny. So if you have some free time over New Year's, check it out. But through, through some of these things, it just got me to think and pray a little about Jesus coming back. And I was looking through a few of the warnings that Jesus spoke related to end times. And we're going to just talk through a few of those things this morning as it is, it is on the media and seem like a good topic to get our heart around. So let's, let's pray. God, we do thank you for today. Um, we, we've made a lot of jokes in the last month about the end of the world and the calendar. 
But God, you have some things to say that there's a real time that the world's going to end, that you're going to come back and you're going to finish what you started on Christmas. We just pray uh, you, would, you would let our hearts engage with that today. Got any warnings you had in the Bible, any encouragements for us, just let it speak to us. Uh, it's kind of a simple message today, but I just pray your words would, would touch each of our hearts and let us just consider how our hearts can be ready to respond to you this morning. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Matthew 24. You're going to follow along. There's a few house Bibles scattered around, or you might have brought one. And this is, so this is Jesus' account and some things he talked through in the future, the end of the world, and the gospel. I think it's a good place just to start to, to see what Jesus had to say on it. So we're in Matthew 24. We'll start in verse 3. It says, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. And stop there. Just a couple things to pull out. Uh, the first, just to get us thinking about the end times and where we are. One is that Jesus said there will be wars and rumors of wars and natural disasters. I looked up on Wikipedia, which I think is the most reliable source of our generation. Our parents had Encyclopedia Britannica. We had a big set growing up. We grew up with Wikipedia, so that's, that's what I have. But I just looked up a little bit about nuclear weapons because they kind of freak me out to think of what they could do if they got rolling. But officially, there's 10 countries in the world that have declared that they have nuclear weapons and they're holding them and have entered into agreements. There's another five countries that aren't part of that 10 but said they'll hold it for them and they're kind of friendly allies. So a quick count shows that 15 countries today could get their hands on a nuclear weapon. And there are probably others that have weapons that just don't want to enter into agreements with other countries, just want to hold on to them in their back pocket in case things go out of hand. I'm just thinking how quickly worldwide chaos could break out if a tussle broke out between some of these countries, between some of these sides of the world that are against each other. Uh, you know, in previous days you had to deploy planes and send them over, and it at least took things a while to get going and get serious. But in this age, how quickly it could happen. And we've also had intense natural disasters. 
and tsunamis and earthquakes and tragedies that point that some of these birth pains that Jesus spoke of might be coming to pass sooner than later and might be starting to ramp up here. And in light of that, I just wanted to draw out as maybe we're entering into these times and should be aware uh, just of what Jesus said in verse 12 of this passage in Matthew 24. He said, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And as I was reading this, that was a chilling reminder to me of one thing. In the end times, the love and the heart of most people will grow cold. The Message Bible says that there will be nothing left of their love but a mound of ashes. That is a sobering thought that left, left me to ask myself, how is the heat of my love today? Is it burning as hot as it once was, or is it, is it going down to ashes and, and a remnant of what was before? You know, a few questions I was chewing on, I'm just going to ask you to think through today. They might be a little uncomfortable, but they hopefully they might diagnose of where we are in these times. Where, where is the love in our heart in, in these times in our world? You know, the first is just, how, how is your love for God today, this, this week, this year? It's a simple question, but is the fire burning as it once was in your heart? Are you excited to be in His Word? Are you talking with Him? Do you have a real relationship with God? And is your heart involved with that relationship, or is it just a duty? Is it just something you have to keep doing because you've always done it and you know it's the right thing? And the second question, just to get us thinking, how's your love for one another, for other people in the church, for Christians? We're called to love them. Do you love God's people? Are you quick to jump in and and serve people? Do you speak well of one another, of other people in the church? Do you like to be with God's people? Is it a joy to go be with them, or is it... mm, is it, a, is it a duty that you have to sit through church for two hours and think of the Bronco game? Are you making choices to be with God's people and to be associated with them and, and with God and not the world? One more question just to diagnose. You might see where it's going, but how's your love for the lost? Are you serving the lost? Or are you inviting people to church? Are you looking for opportunities with the gospel? Are you praying for them? Or are you stagnant? Now, I know I thought through some of these areas and prayed over the last few weeks and just had to be honest with God that there's a, there's a flame there, there's something. I was just praying that God would help it burn hotter, that He would let not my heart grow cold in end times, but let it increase, let it throw, um, throw wood on to get it back, back up to burning strong. If you did Boy Scouts, I did some of that. Or if you're an avid camper, you probably built a fire in the woods before. I think it's a pretty fun manly activity, but for me, fire is one of the best parts of camping. If you look at it, you can cook on it with barbecuing. You can do cast iron skillets on it and cook about anything you need or boil water. They keep you warm. They also provide a central meeting space at night so you can still hang out and stay out when it starts to get cold in the mountains. I remember most camping trips would kind of start by someone would set up the tent. And once that was settled, a few people would go into the woods to go find wood for the fire. So you split up and go wander around for about an hour. 
If you're lucky, you found a good use for an axe and a saw too to go along with fire. You get to play with a lot of stuff. And you, you found some kind of dead tree you got to cut up and an axe away at. And, um, and eventually you come back with your firewood. And so as you start this fire, I mean, you can't just use newspaper and stuff. If you're in the woods, you've got to get a, you've got to round up in Colorado pine needles and pine cones and you get your, your little ball of some starter stuff and then you make like a little teepee of sticks on top of it. So as you throw, throw a match in, you've got to just have one match. I mean, that's, that's it. You can't have lighter fluid, just a match. You've got to get that thing started, some of those fast-burning pine needles, and then you hope that just gets that first little set of twigs there and gets some fire going. And as it gets started, you're going to start to put bigger sticks around it and bigger sticks and hope it just keeps catching the next level. And eventually you can throw a log on there. And if that thing gets caught, you're in business. You've got fire. And at that point, you can just start throwing logs in. You're good for the night and start making dinner and roasting marshmallows. So if we think of this analogy for the love in our heart, going cold or going hot, how's How's that fire for your love today? Is it like a roasting fire you can keep adding those logs to? Or is it, as Jesus said, just cold ashes that remain from a fire that once burned, like a campsite the night before? Wherever it is at, I would encourage you to take steps to be building up that fire today. You know, if it is small, if it's a remnant of what it was, just start adding sticks back in there to, to build it back up into something. Take small steps just to get in the Bible and be praying that God would change our heart and add love and take steps in that just of serving people in our small groups, serving people, our neighbors. Pray that God would ignite things. And as we start to love, as we start to, to get out and do something about it and, and really love one another, just like a fire, it starts to add fuel and embers that will burn. And eventually you can just add logs into it. But I'd encourage you to be real with God and just pray that wherever you're at it would increase and it would burn hotter than it did before. Earlier we talked about the the Mayan prophecy. That there's a clear scripture that says how we can know for sure the day Jesus is coming back. It's kind of a trick. But if you're in Matthew 24 still, if you flip over to verse 42 it says... Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect Him. You know, one thing that stands out to me, about that is that Jesus is coming in an hour we don't know we don't expect it's not like the Mayan prophecy that we get a month to kind of get our ducks in a row and and then December 21st that's the final dance card and you head out but however we are living at the time when Jesus comes and we're surprised that's how he'll find us and it's going to be a blessing if we're ready and our spiritual house is in order or it's going to be a terror when he returns and we're not ready in the account similar to this one of Jesus talking about the end times in Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable of a widow being persistent with an unrighteous judge just asking for things over and over to get what she wanted. And the story he tells, she just keeps pestering him and knocking on the door until he finally gives in and, and she gets what she wants. And at the end of the parable, Jesus asks this question. 
He says, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith in all the earth? That's, that's another one. The Scripture is clear that we're going to be surprised by the Lord's return. That the time isn't going to be known. The question so much, I mean, we can look at when He's coming, but the real question for us is, are we going to be ready when He comes? Will our spiritual house be in order? Will the Lord find faith in us? You know, a few questions to get you thinking about just faith. You know, a big sign of where our faith health is at is, is in our prayer life. I'm just going to ask you a few more things, but my first question is, are we praying? If the Lord returned today, would He catch us in prayer? Would we have talked to Him recently? And even a better question in our prayers, are we praying for specifics? It's one thing to pray in general for world peace, for God to get His will, but it's another thing to trust God, to pray for specifics. What are we trusting Him to do? You know, there's something we've been chewing on as pastors over the last few months and with some of our leaders is um, our faith as a church. You know, it's easy to say, yeah, we have faith, we have things we're holding on to, we have things we're praying about. But it's easy to be really generic and we can pray about it and we're not that invested in what we're praying and if some of it happens or some of it doesn't, it's hard to tell because it's not quantifiable. So we've been talking as pastors just what are some things we can do to have specific prayers and goals that we can really lay before God and we can pray through and we can ask Him to do. You know, it's one thing, for example, that is generically asked, God, use the firehouse to, to see people saved and bring in new people next year from the neighborhood. Well, it gets a lot different if you put a number to that and say, God, can we see 20 people saved? Can we see 30 people saved in a year? Boy, that, that starts to get a little scarier when you put specifics on it. Um, the specifics tend to ramp up our urgency because there's something before us in our prayer that we're really trusting God for. It gets, it gets scary that we can be praying something and God can do it or He can not do it and we're going to have to deal with whether or not our prayer is answered before God. And I was challenged in my life if the Lord returned today what specific things would He catch me trusting Him for? What specific things would He catch you trusting Him for? So would He not catch us in anything at all? I think I'd just encourage to step up specific things that we can really point to God answering this year as we look ahead. Speaking of being surprised the day Jesus returns, there's another camp of people. If you don't have things settled with God today, if you don't have it settled before God, dealing with your sin before Him, eternity, and dealing with Jesus and how He fits into your life and accepting His gift, you don't know the day He returns either. It's easy to say that we'll make our peace with God when we're older, another day, but we don't know the number of days we have on this earth. We don't know when Jesus is returning. He said He'll come like a thief in the night and we'll be surprised. And we don't, even if He doesn't return, we don't know if we have 30 years or 50 years or 70 years on the earth. Just a couple verses that I read in the One Year Bible last week. Zechariah 14 talks about how those who don't know Jesus will react when He returns. In verse 13 it says, It will come about in that day that a great panic from the Lord will fall on them. 
And they will seize one another's hand, and the hand of one will be lifted against the hand of another. So it says that a total panic will happen. People will turn against others, and a great fear will run over their face. And just like a believer in Jesus won't be able to go back and pray more or apply more faith or love more, a person who hasn't put their trust in Christ won't have an opportunity to once he returns. You know, uh, in Revelation 20 I read this week, it talks about this too. In verse 11 it says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose perspective earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. So Jesus returns and he's sitting on his throne. And at this point it's just the earth is passing away. And it, it goes on to talk about that he has a book of life. And in it is written all the people in the history of the world who have believed and put their trust in Christ. And their names are written. And those whose names are written go to heaven and partake in a great marriage feast with the Savior. And Jesus draws everyone in and there's a great celebration. The verse 15, it talks about the fate of those who don't put their trust in Christ, who didn't have it settled, whose names aren't written in the book of life. It says, And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he will be thrown into the lake of fire. It's direct. But that's plainly how Jesus put it in Revelation. There isn't another chance to change our mind later. Once we die, or Jesus returns, our decision is sealed, our faith is sealed, our life is sealed, and the book of life is written, it's finalized. If you haven't put your hope in Christ to make things right with God, I urge you not to wait. Nobody knows the day or the hour that we won't get another chance. When the last name has been written in the book and it's been closed, I encourage you, if you don't have it settled, to talk to someone you've met here and ask how you can be right with God today and get it settled. Because we don't know how many days we have. So for all of us, let us be found today with a flame of love burning, with an act of faith in the Lord should He return. Let us be surprised at the time, but prepared for the coming when the Master returns. That we're ready and receive Him and give them a gift of what our life looks like. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for this morning. We just thank you just for the reminder in the Scripture of your coming. God, we pray that you would help each of us be ready for your return. God, help each of us kindle the love we have for you. God, kindle our faith that you would find us in love, you would find us in faith, you would find us trusting you. And for our salvation, trusting you for specific things this week, this month, this year. God, let it be in the firehouse that we would be found in faith and found in love. And pray you'd speak to each of our hearts and help us just deal with you on uh, things that we might not be in faith. We might not be in love. We might be in selfishness and sin. God, let us bring it before you, repent, and be willing to change and let you speak into our lives and help us obey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty, well thanks for joining us today and have a great New Year's.